Welcome to the Top Order podcast. Back to the usual format this week. Banter around the table. We're all in the same room, which is really, really exciting. We talk about ball management. Not easy to do when you're in a room with three of your very best friends. We also talk about home umpires, extra reviews, COVID substitutions and upcoming tours to England for West Indies, Pakistan. We also start to unpick whether or not the IPL and T20 World Cup are going to go ahead as planned. That's all coming up after the swish. Welcome to the Top Order podcast. This week in cricket is going to be extended as we banter about cricket's return. Baldy, I'm coming to you first. Well, after a million years of saliva polishing the cricket ball, it is no more. No longer will we be allowed to polish the cricket ball with the age-old tools. We have to use something else. So the ICC, in their guidelines for return to cricket, and they are they have been issued as guidelines for return to cricket, have suggested that saliva is a risk factor for transmission of COVID-19 through the ball, but sweat is not. So from this day forth, all cricketers will be allowed to use sweat to polish the cricket ball, but saliva, mints, anything uh, mouth-related, not able to be used to polish the ball. And the ICC Cricket Committee have released this e- have released this edict. The ICC Cricket Committee heard from the chair of the ICC Medical Advisory Committee, Dr. Peter Harcourt, regarding the elevated risk of the transmission of the virus through saliva, and unanimous, unanimously agreed to recommend that the use of saliva to polish the ball pre- be prohibited, an ICC release said. The committee also noted the medical advice that is highly unlikely that the virus can be transmitted through sweat and saw no need to prohibit the use of sweat to polish the ball whilst recommending that enhanced hygiene measures are implemented on and around the playing field. And it goes on and on to talk about a whole bunch of other stuff which we'll cover in due course. But I wanted to raise it up. Okay, cool. So for 100 years, people have been using sun cream to polish the ball anyway. So it's now effectively <laughs> legal tender and on for young and old. What do we think is going to change in terms of cricket around this new edict around not being able to use saliva to polish the ball? The well, first thing I would want to say is how how, how, how are they going to police it? I just can't see how... Like, what, what are the punishments? How are they going to stop... I mean, Fuff's already come out and said he licks his fingers when he's at fielding at slip. I mean, what are they going to do there? I mean, he's going to get the ball given to him. He's going to have been licking his fingers. I guess he's going to have to stop licking his fingers. But what? I, I don't know. It just I don't I don't disagree with kind of what they're trying to do here. I guess they have to go through all those processes. But I just can't see how they're going to police it and, and what they're going to do about it. Overrates are going to be absolutely rooted. <laughs> they're going to be changing the ball every five minutes because. Yeah. They've got, you know, ca- camera two has picked up uh, cover fielder with a bit of saliva. <laughs> we need to change the cricket ball. And on comes the fourth umpire and we get through 15 overs in a day. <laughs> I find it interesting because, like you said before, they're guidelines. I mean, they've, they've talked about a lot of things like post-wicket huddles and stuff like that aren't going to happen anymore. But they haven't actually put in place how they're going to do it. Mm. They've said, this is what we want you not to do or whatever, but what does it actually look like? I have no idea how they're going to play the game. Well, Spidercom's going to come down with hand sanitizer on and they all get to <laughs> well, cure. Well, interestingly, so there is a T10 tournament going on in the Caribbean right now, and that's already seen post-wicket huddles with social distancing. A player was injured and the medical staff didn't enter the ground. He had to leave, well, he was able to leave under his own steam. But even then, the players that went to him we're two metres away from him, et cetera, et cetera. So we've already started to see the impact of that on the field. 
There were um, people punching the ground in celebration, leg shakes rather than handshakes. <laughs> Both umpires were wearing masks and one of the wicketkeepers was wearing a mask at, at one stage. It's it's a very, very different world, but cricket is back. I'm I'm concerned with what's going to happen to the ball and, and how bat and ball balance is going to be redressed as a result. We've already seen Kookaburra experiment with and are working on ways to provide some kind of asymmetry to the ball to allow for swing. Mm. I think you're going to see lots and lots of sun cream on the ball moving forward. Kookaburra have produced a wax, apparently, to help shine the ball up as well. Yep. So yeah. the ICC did talk about the use of artificial substances and declared that there were too many variables. So are they going to allow a cloth with wax on it? Are they going to allow, uh, one of my favourite words of all time, are they going to allow vaso to be used <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the ball? Tell the official press release. Yes, well, uh, quick info. Are you going to allow Vaseline? Are you going to allow mints to be used? Hint, England cricket team. These were among <laughs> Mate, the questions. get off your high horse. <laughs> these were among the questions the committee discussed. Uh, this is directly from Crick Info. And since the use of any artificial substance amounts to ball tampering under the existing laws, the committee felt bending those rules right now would lead to complications. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I think the use of sun cream is going to be widespread on the cricket ball. I, I, I put it out there. Are we going to see an increase in teams starting to try and dry the ball out? So now that they can't use saliva to polish the ball, are they going to try and dry the ball out and aim for a reverse swing earlier in, in test matches? Allow, you know, natural swing for the first four or five overs and then just dry the fucker out to try and get reverse swing from, say, 15 or 20 overs into an innings? I just don't see how this game is going to go forth with these guidelines they've put. Or like, they can't even have changing room time together that sounded weird <laughs> <laughs> they can't even they can't even socialize in the changing room after the game and stuff like that so this is turning into a how can we make money out of it rather than how can we play a sport when surely surely they're going to have to i guess come to some sort of terms that they are going to be in a bubble together these players that that's sort of how i imagine it in my head surely they're going to have to go okay well if someone gets it like we're, this is the case, and we're all at risk here, mm. because yeah, they can't they can't have a situation where someone they can't even be around each other. They can't someone gets injured and they can't help him off the field. I mean, that's well, that's I, sort of madness. I think at that point, if the player was seriously injured, the medical staff would have assisted him from the field, and they would have had to have taken extra PPE precautions. But as it was, the player was able to leave under his own steam. But the fact of the matter was that normally. Everyone would rush to the player, stand around him in a tight little group. That wasn't that wasn't the case. What's going to happen if someone needs to be carried off? Though is it like a remote control bugger and he has <laughs> to sort of roll onto it? I, look, I think all joking aside, I do think one of the factors here is this has been moving so quickly in terms of different regulations and different guidelines from governments left, right, and centre. I think by the time we actually look to get some meaningful cricket on, I mean Pakistan are talking about being in quarantine. Um, or bi a biosecure bubble for three months um, from when they arrive in, get together in Lahore for a training academy for a couple of weeks, then eventually fly over to the UK. At the moment, they'll need to quarantine in the UK for a couple of weeks, then have a period of time where they're getting up to speed. And I, I noticed the ICC has also brought in some kind of workload management mm. guidelines mm. for mm. fast bowlers, saying they're going to need up to six weeks to be ready to bear the brunt. longer than that even, yeah. I just wonder whether this, and we've alluded to it already in terms of this is about money, right? This is about r returning to the broadcasters what they've paid for. But ultimately, this is going to have an asterisk on it 
you know, before saliva and after saliva, before COVID, after COVID, talking about changing the rules of LBW to make a balance between bat and ball. You know, this is cricket, but not as we know it. And I just wonder how bought into it fans are going to be when they see a lot of these conditions potentially imposed on the game, particularly test cricket, T20. I'm a little bit more happy that it's about getting a game on and, and getting, mm. something on, getting something on the telly. Well, I mean, you, you've touched on there leading into like that, that T20 World Cup and, and I guess the, the Test Championship, I mean, I, I guess we'll talk about that a bit later in terms of what what that might look like. But are, are, the, are these actually going to be cricket? You know, is the Test Championship, the whole thing, is that going to be undermined if they're playing uh, under with no fans, if they're playing under conditions where they're playing th- three tests in, I don't know, 20 days or something so that they're going through so fast and they have to rotate all their players around. It's It becomes a matter of do you have the best depth rather than do you have the best team? And that's a completely different situation than what we've played under all these other circumstances. I think definitely the structure of future tours is likely to change, at least in the short to medium term, right? So if you're going to invest a bunch of money paying people to be in lockdown for a period of time leading up to a tour, you can't fly in like you could pre-COVID for a week before the first test match and come in, play a like two-day warm-up game and then straight into the first test. You're going to need to be in some kind of isolation in a secure biosecure facility like the England um, West Indies series is likely to be played under. So are they? Are we likely to see longer tours? Are we likely to see teams play more cricket in that in that tour with a larger squad? You've got to take a larger squad now because you're not going to have access to um, local net bowlers for a start. Mm. So are teams going to take having to take bigger squads? Going well, we want to play more cricket on that tour to maximise our you know our financial reward for the home nation. I think that's also likely to have an economic impact. So if we go okay, why don't we have three teams come in and go through lockdown together and play together and you have some kind of, you know, old school Benson and Hedges three-team tournament mm. over over the course of a summer to get the maximum num- amount of cricket out of it. Are we going to have to change the economic model where, as you pointed out, Adam, the home nation is the sole economic benefactor of a, a, a series being played between two nations? If we have a situation where you've got longer tours or you've got multiple teams coming together to play a mini tournament or whatever, are we going to have to change the economic model for cricket where there's more profit sharing between nations as a result of that tour and, you know, the visiting teams getting some portion of the pie? Other, otherwise, it's going to be too hard for teams that don't have that, that, that you know, health factor. They'll have to tear up the Test Championship and tear up the Future Tours program they'll, for that to work, though. They, they'll, yeah, that, exactly. Well, they may have to change the way that the Future Tours program works. I mean, you could possibly still have bilateral Test Series, but it, mi- it might be that for the short term, we don't see stuff like that for the next but 12 months all, or so. All these plans, they're great, but what happens if somebody gets a, gets COVID while they're on tour? Yeah, well, it doesn't matter point. what kind of planning yep. you've got. We don't actually know, do we? Are we we're guessing what happens if if COVID someone gets COVID or tests positive for COVID in the middle of a tour? Well, there's no okay. COVID substitutes. That's that's been announced. But I, yeah, Lippy, you were saying. I think, oh, I think the game. I think the game gets called off. As far as I'm aware, if if something gets gets uh, if someone gets it and someone's test positive, then I, I would say the game mm. stops immediately, and then they would have to test everyone else and and go into the 14 day stand down. Well, depending on what the conditions are for that country i guess i would i would have thought is what happens i mean 
I guess you talked about uh, the idea of pre-COVID, you know, after COVID, but uh, that's how everyone is out having to adapt in their own working lives as well. I mean, if cricket wants to get going, we're going to have to do this. And I don't necessarily, as much as I think, is this really cricket and, and all of those things definitely come into it, would you rather see no cricket? That's a great point. This is where esports comes into it, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be cricket nineteen championships all throughout the world. Yeah, look, I I think one of the factors is going to be a, a big name player or a group of big name players are going to decide not to tour or um, not to play, and I think then what are the broadcasters going to do? Um, I know that obviously that can't be part of a broadcast deal, mm. but it's going to lessen the next broadcast deal if you're in those kind of situations. I, I think, you but know... But then do those guys get paid? I mean, that this is the situation. Like, if I am if I said, okay, well, I'm not going to work under conditions that changed at my business, you know, those guys have to... They're going to have to adapt. It's I, I'm, I'm not saying they should put their health at risk. I'm not... But I, I do think it's important that people are going to... People can't just make demands and not think about the impact for their business because essentially that's what some of these organisations are. They're a business and if they don't make any money, then they can't pay their employees. Look, it's going to be really interesting to see how that works out because I, I just think you're going to see a situation at least in the next six to nine months where a player is going to pull out a plane for his international team but he's going to be happy to go and play in a franchise tournament mm. and... I would imagine that the news story will spin out that they felt more comfortable with the arrangements made for that franchise tournament than their international board or host board had made. So, look, I think this has got a long, long way to run. Um, but it is going to be really weird to to understand how this is going to unfold, particularly with changes of conditions. I mean, we'll all have been down the nets and and... You know, seamers would have their own netball that they would have worked on at home. Got the old Black & Decker uh, sander out on one side, the old polishing pad out on the other side, and it swung around corners. Maybe they, maybe you, you were pretty handy at having your own ball at home. I was. Well, I missed the story. Polishing polishing your own oh, ball yes. and bringing it to training. Yeah. yeah. Mine have been I thought you were talking about masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> I've been keeping all of my cricket balls in the freezer for the last eight weeks, so I'm ready to go as soon as training resumes. <laughs> I'm going to have microwave them beforehand. Yep, you got to heat them up beforehand, and then you. And what, what does that do? I'll swing. I'll swing around corners. Makes I'll it harder. Like, yeah. Makes the seam harder. Yeah, it swings okay. like a bastard. Or in my case, it'll get a little bit turned and bounce. I want. I want to pick up on that. Uh, you touched on it just before the LBWs. So, so if we can't shine the ball, Ian Chappell's come up with this idea that. Basically, anything hitting the stumps should be out, no matter what, whether it's pitched outside leg, all that kind of stuff. Mm. I'm very biased from a bowling point of view, but but what are you guys to make of that? So can you walk us through Ian Chappell's proposed change to the law? Is that regardless of where the ball lands or whether or not the batsman's playing a shot, if yep. the ball was to go on and hit the wickets, the batsman is out? As far as I'm aware, that's, that's how I understand it. And Personally, I don't think the rule needs to change. I, I understand where he's coming from, but if someone's playing a genuine shot, I think the rules are good as they are. If somebody leaves a ball, then sure, why not? Why can't we put that in? If someone's playing a shot and they just misjudge it, that's a that, that's fine. that I'm 100% with you there, Raj. If someone is playing a legitimate cricket shot and they are intending to hit the ball, and that's up to the umpire's discretion, and this is where it's going to become a little bit sort of subjective rather than objective, I would like to take away 
the negative tactic of bowling outside leg stump to negate a batsman playing shots and the batsman then just kicking the ball away with their pad, not offering a stroke. If you're legitimately playing a shot at the ball and it pitches and it hits you outside the line of either the off stump or leg stump, I think that's fair enough. That's not out. Um, but if you're not playing a shot, it shouldn't matter whether or not the ball pitches out outside leg stump. As a leg spinner, I would like to be able to pitch the ball outside leg stump and have a guy just try and kick it away and then have it come back and hit the stumps. That'd be lovely. Um, or left arm seamers, you know, being able to pitch the ball on leg or just outside leg and be, you know, cutting the ball across and hitting the top of off. And if the batsman's not playing a shot, they should be given out. What's what's the basis of this proposed change? Is it purely just to bring the ball or equalise a little bit? That that was that's what I understand what Chapel was saying. That basically, I mean, one of the examples he gave was. You know, would you rather see someone, Sachin Tendulkar, coming down the wicket, taking on Shane Warne when it's pitching outside leg stump and being aggressive, or someone standing there kicking it away, kicking it away, kicking it away, trying not to get out? Mm. I mean, it's not it's exactly the example, same. Yeah. It's, it's an extreme example, but I guess he was also talking about that the balance between bat and ball has has shifted and pretty heavily at recent times towards bat, and actually, why don't we make it a bit better for bowlers that they can get more wickets this way. And I mean, I'd love to see, I'm sure some people have done it, but I actually couldn't find anything, but I'd love to see some stats on how many, like how many of these dismissals would have actually happened. I mean, you can't quantify that because batsmen would have played differently. Look, I know, I know. So I think the more and more I think about this, this is no different to DRS, right? In, in terms of a change in not necessarily rules, but certainly a change in which the way that the rules were interpreted. So, LBW has become far more central now for spinners than it was pre-DRS. So looking at the 10 years prior to DRS, spinners were getting about 17% of their wickets LBW, 21% of the wickets after DRS was implemented for a spinner. So that was showing that LBs were being more readily given out through the technology. Interestingly, fast bowlers getting fewer LBs post-DRS. So from height, uh, Yeah, so height being yep. probably the, the key factor there. So to an extent, I don't necessarily see it as being something that, you know, I'm going to turn in my cricketing grave as a purist that they're going to change the rules. But I think it's just being aware that that does change the dynamic a little bit. Mm. One of the things I think is that the switch hit and the way that players manoeuvre the ball now. And, mm. and obviously, look, I know the argument is they change where the off stump is if they're swapping their hands or whatever. So I, I actually probably would advocate saying that that pitched outside leg stump is, you know, Bullshit, really. Does it matter whether it's pitched outside leg or outside off? Probably not if it's hitting the timbers. Mm. So, yeah, look, I, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. But if it's as a reaction to one thing, which is the ball's not going to swing, let's see if it does or doesn't first. Mm. I, I just think if you look at the, the balance shift that's happened with, you know, more towards the bat and it has shifted, it's not to do with the rules. It's the equipment. They've got better mm. bats. They've got flatter pitches. Mm. Barry Richards brought it up. Why don't they do some R&D on the ball and see if they can make that do a little bit more mm. or enforce something on the pitches that they have to be in a certain state that it will do a little bit for the bowlers. I don't know why we need to change the rules. Yeah. When well, the boundaries are in as well, aren't they? You know, mm. so yeah, a lot, lot easier as a batter. I'd love to, I'd love to see a minimum boundary length enforced. I know that they're enforced now. There is. So for new, <laughs> so for any new international venue, yep. there is a minimum boundary length, but for existing international venues that have international standards, uh, international status, there's no minimum boundary length enforced, which is why Eden Park is still an international cricket venue, despite the fact that it's 
you know, boundaries are quite small. 30 metres. Um, or, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> they're, they're small, right? I would, I would like to see there be a minimum boundary length to make, you know, to make the fact that you can be caught on the boundary a real thing. At the moment, even if you miss hit one, it's still going for six. Mm. And whether or not that's, as you, to your point, Raj, size of bat or size of ground or something. I mean, they changed javelin rules four, five, six times to make the javelins wider and wider so that the world record wasn't 110, 115, 120 metres. So they made the javelins less aerodynamic to cope with that. There's no reason why cricket can't do the same. Yeah, I think I, I think they've got to do something, don't I personally and I don't think I don't think the rules are so need to be so well protected that they just can't be touched. Mm. Um I agree with you, Raj, that maybe they should do some testing on the board. Possibly that stuff's already happening, but like yeah. There's a halfway house already though. Just when the ball is hitting the stumps, give it out instead of it being umpire's yep. call. That's gonna correct yeah, a yeah, hell yeah. of a lot of those That's, LBs. Mm. Like it's hitting the stumps, like it's out. And um, interesting, I, I didn't actually know this until really, really recently. When they show the graphic and it's just clipping the bales, they don't actually include the bales in the zone mm. that the ball is hitting. So they do it based upon the height of the, the top, the of, top, the of, top yep. of the the groove on the stump, not the not the bales. Mm. Yeah, with the assumption that the, I'm getting really nerdy and technical here, is that the bale should sit exactly halfway between... The top of, in the top of the stump, so the midpoint of the bale should be in line with the top of the yeah, stump. Yeah, you've lost me right now. Yeah, <laughs> no, we'll move on. Home umpires, is this a problem or not? Just before we go on to that, sorry, sorry. Why, why do you think that should be like that? Why do I think that what should be like the what? ball should be if it ball clips it, it's out. Well, so what I'm saying is the way that they equate it now is obviously the DRS tracking predictive element of that is based upon the standard dimensions of a set of stumps. So they don't go to the ground every every time and measure this zone and go, well, it's hitting this particular set of stumps. It's done on a, a basis of that is what the dimensions of the wicket should be to the top of the stumps. And at the moment, obviously, if you have used your review um, and it's with the umpire's call, then you're potentially given out if you're, um, the umpire said it's out and not out if he said it's not out, even though the ball is hitting the stumps. So... I just Pro think probably hitting the stumps. Yeah, but probably hitting the stumps to within the parameters of them actually taking a little bit of a margin for error in terms of the you know there's a percentage of the ball that's going to hit the stumps is how that's um, worked out and not taking into account the bales. So when you've got that one that's just trimming the bales, it's actually not just trimming the bales. It's probably knocking the bale clean off and sending it to the thirty meter circle. So I just think if the ball's hitting the stumps, the ball's hitting the stumps, and regardless of whether the umpire's given it out or not out um, on umpire's call, it should go with the fact that it's hit the stumps. That's all I'm saying. I'm a keeper, though, so I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> so as part of the ICC guideline recommendations, uh, for the foreseeable future, test matches, as well as ODIs and T20s, will have home umpires moving forward to minimise the travel burden on umpires and minimise the travel restrictions on umpires. Is this a problem or not? Are they... So who's going to umpire in the... I'm just picking a... In Bangladesh, who's going to umpire in Bangladesh? There will be Bangladeshi umpires that are on the... That are ICC test accredited will, will be able to host those tests or umpire those test matches. And the same for ODIs and T20s. So the, the standard requirement for them being whatever badge they hold won't change, but the fact that they won't be required to be neutral umpires for that test match is, is going to change. Also, it means that they won't be, 
elite panel umpires in some situations. In some situations, yes, that's true. Yes, so not every test playing nation has an elite umpire. So and they, no, I don't know that many have two. Uh, so in that case, then there won't be elite panel umpires op- op- officiating those test matches. I think a it's a non-issue, and b you can understand the logic behind it in the current climate. Mm. It's another two people or, you know, arguably three or four people that have got to travel to make up an umpiring crew away from home. It adds a complexity to a situation that doesn't need one. And with TV and with DRS and with the way that the game works now, I think you are going to get the odd Joel Wilson-like situation where one of those umpires just isn't very good and has an absolute howler. But ultimately, I think, you know, you're not going to see bias, I don't think. You might see bad umpiring. So one of the ICC recommendations or one of the actual changes they're going to make is to increase the number of reviews that each team is allowed as recompense for having home umpires. So there will be one additional review that each team is allowed in each format. So test matches, ODIs, etc. The use of technology, this is again from the Crick Info article on point, is increased to support the appointments of a wider pool of umpires from around the world and has proposed an additional DRS review per team per innings introduced in each format as an interim measure to cope with that while we don't have home umpires. I mean, of course, uh, ODIs and T20s already allow for home umpires anyway, so this is only really impacting test matches as, as such. I mean, that's the point that I actually think is... I would take an argument with, I, I think that's unnecessary. I mean, three, what, why do you need three reviews? I mean, we see this over and over again. The The number of reviews that teams have proportionately relates to how much of a gamble they're going to take. The, and the, to overrates. I know. Like They should just, two reviews is plenty. Mm, if DRS shows, that's why I don't have an issue with this whole thing. You can't, you can't fool the system. Especially like, now you keep your review if it's umpire's call as well. Point, yeah. And they didn't reduce the number of reviews then, and they arguably could have done. Yeah, you just do, you, you just have to be smart with how you're using reviews. If an umpire is clearly cheating, that umpire is going to get found out pretty quickly. Mate, so we're, we're going to have remote control gurneys. We're going to have the ball <laughs> change for saliva breaches and extra reviews. We ain't going to finish a game of cricket in this new post-COVID environment, are we? It's going to be dark. Well, there certainly won't be any four-day test matches. <laughs> no, exactly. Which is good for revenue. So yeah, there we go. Gr- it's great for revenue. <laughs> well, not if there's no fans. Good point. <laughs> well, that well, no, that's a good point because Fr- if it's, Fritz's wieners aren't selling a lot of wieners, well, are they? Exactly. Well, if that's a good point because TV will want the game to finish on time, right? They won't want test matches going an extra forty-five minutes or an hour just to get playing because they'll have the six o'clock news or a rerun of friends or my kitchen does home renovations <laughs> seven Australia slash new a islands coming up after the break. So they will want cricket to finish promptly on time so that they can get to their next regularly scheduled daily. Be good for the Aussies though. Cause that show would, you know, have the Bunnings adverts on. So it just link into the, the ball maintenance thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> Indeed. 15 all for the mid comment. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So I think I think in summary, we're not too upset about being home umpires. Uh-huh, I'm a big fan of home umpires. I, I 100%. I don't think there'll be any bias at all. But I do I do wonder what will happen at certain situations within a game when there's a pressure moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my only concern, just around experience. But I think that it's a good idea for the current situation, right? Yeah, you'd hope it's going to be great for umpires. You know, like it'll give them the opportunity to 
umpire tests at home and also give them the opportunity to be at that level and give mm. exposure to all of those exactly. people. So, yeah, fingers crossed it's a good thing for them. Absolutely. Yeah, so we've talked about this post-COVID world and what cricket might look like. What is it going to look like at the end of the year when we start having these scheduled tournaments like the T20 World Cup? Are they going to bring the IPL back? What do we actually think is going to happen? I mean, there was this great article on Crick Info this week about all the test nations and I guess the state of plays and, and what the financial impacts are. The IPL is worth half a billion dollars to the BCCI. England's home summer is worth £380 million to them. The Indian tour is worth $300 million to Australia. These are enormous numbers that just cannot be, you know, like these these countries cannot miss out on this money. But on the flip side of that, all of the other nations in these uh, in the ICC, they rely on payments from these ICC tournaments like the T20 World Cup, which if it gets postponed or, or cancelled is going to have massive impact implications for those. So I, I think we're really going to see I mean, you know, maybe we already know who runs the the ICC, but we're going to really get to see all of those politics play out in in how the situation is going to unfold at the end of the year. Well, I don't pretend to necessarily understand every single element of the way money flows around the game, but the biggest knock-on effect is going to be for domestic cricket tournaments, I think. Ultimately, and it pains me to say this as someone that would be a, you know, a cricketing purist, but England's really only the only place in the world that sells out a home test match summer. Um, and even, you know, when it's a, a slightly lesser test nation, they'll get a game maybe at Durham or the Aegeus Bowl that won't quite fill up. But Lords, the Oval, Old Trafford, Edgebaston, Trent Bridge will regularly sell out. And that is where England makes a lot of its money in terms of their test match summer. It's the reverse everywhere else in the world, right? From a, a grounds perspective, it's the shorter format of the game that's the the revenue spinner in country, uh, regardless of the TV rights. We need a T20 World Cup pretty quickly. We need an IPL. We need the big bash. Um, I'm going to say that the Sheffield Shield, the domestic county championship, the Ranji Trophy, the Plunkett Shield are the things that can miss off the schedule that aren't going to have a massive revenue spinning effect, but will allow the, you know allow the game to recover in two or three years' time, and it might be that it looks a lot different. It might be that it's back to a Sheffield Shield squad of a dozen players with three or four hundreds in grade cricket getting you into the side rather than a squad of, you know, 20 players. It's the same in county cricket. There's over 400 pros. I think, you know, you might have to get to a situation where there aren't 400 pros anymore. You've got county squads of 12 to 15 people, and if if you're getting runs in league or second 11 cricket you're getting your opportunity i mean yeah i think i think the face of long form cricket domestically is going to look very different because individual home nations if they can't travel and that's a that's a big if right if they can't travel their home domestic summer is the only revenue opportunity and i think if in as you say in most cases that is short form cricket I think they're going to likely to try and make their short-form tournament the marquee event of that summer and try and get as much of that happening as possible, even if, as you say, and we've seen it before with the Sheffield Shield, where it's only one round, there's only five or six games in the Sheffield Shield, there might only be five games in the Plunkett Shield this year to fit in all of that cricket that was scheduled from March this year to effectively October when we're likely to be back, although there's cricket happening now and, and whatnot. 
all of that, if that's compressed into that October through February window, I think you're likely to see IPL take a take a front seat. The T Twenty World Cup, there's no way the ICC won't let that go ahead and have and have top billing, and then the local domestic tournaments will come after that, and then there might not be much room for long form cricket, and that may have a flow on effect for for years to come. We don't really know. One of the cool things about this uh, COVID-19 crisis has been all the innovation that people have done. And one of the cool things I heard about the Big Bash and, and, and T20 tournaments like that is they're talking about playing double headers. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a really interesting idea and whether that condenses it and also makes them more money at the same time is an interesting concept. So I don't know if that's on the table, but I know that the Australian players are talking about it. What do you think about that? Well, I think New Zealand and Australia potentially are the are in. I mean, the way that this situation is going for them, the domestic cricket potentially is not necessarily even hurt at all. It might even be enhanced because they might get to a situation. You know, maybe the Big Bash. Maybe there is a situation where you you can't import uh, overseas players. So maybe it's this you know Trans Tasman bubble or whatever, and maybe we end up with a couple of teams in the Big Bash. Maybe there will be some sort of innovation. You know, maybe we will bring in... I don't think we'll bring in a side into the Sheffield Shield or anything in the longer forms, but, but maybe there will be something that comes out of this mm. that means more people are exposed to cricket at that level or more people are exposed to those those tournaments in, in the bright lights and those bright lights actually get shown more around the world because there's, you know, fewer tournaments going on. I don't think economically we'll see more cricketers playing cricket, but I think what we will see is more domestic cricketers playing domestic cricket in their own in their own country, right? At least for this summer. So in New Zealand and Australia, for instance, when we're coming up to October, we might see Ross Taylor, Kane Williamson turning out for their domestic teams in the domestic competition here. Mm. We might see the Australian national cricketers playing big bash cricket. If we can get cross cross Tasman uh domestic tournaments going I think that would be fantastic for the game I think we just need to be really careful with that because Super Rugby has shown that that has its place but doesn't quite work in in rugby I don't know if it would work in cricket I'd like to think that it would I would like to think that a 12 team domestic tournament with Australia and New Zealand each team plays 11 games that's enough T20 cricket to get a lot of crowds in each team would play say five or six games at home during the summer they would be marquee events. You wouldn't necessarily have to have double headers, but if you did, they would be television. They, they would be big television events, particularly if there's no crowds. If there's no crowds, it's very easy to have a double header and then have that be a television marquee event. So, I, I'm hopeful that, that domestic cricket will be at the forefront of people's minds and that it does get quite a high profile billing, even if there's no overseas. Yeah, so I, I guess my, my kind of point around that is I think that T20 is where you make your revenue. Yeah, absolutely. If we're talking about preserving the game and making money while we're doing it, I think the, the format of the game that's going to drop is the, the 50-over game. I agree. You need to preserve how the game is played, whether that's four-day or five-day tests, mm-hmm. but you also need to make your money. And you can play 10, 20, 20 games in 15 days or something. Mm-hmm. You can do something like that, mm. and that's where you make your money. But I really don't think that we should be not playing or we, sh- we shouldn't be playing less tests i agree we shouldn't be like playing less tests but i think there'll be less long-form domestic cricket i think mm. as a result of this because we're trying to cram more cricket and more revenue generating cricket into a, sh- a shorter schedule see my biggest worry with this is 
cramming these tests in, if you look at the proposed English summer, which is Pakistan and West Indies, mm. they're looking at playing essentially back-to-back test matches over a three-week period. So there's only a couple of days in between. Squads of 25 to 30 players. I just think it is going to dilute the standard of that game at, at a time where there's a criticism that it's already the dying part of international cricket. And I think if it's not serious, it's not played in front of crowds, it's diluted in terms of rest and rotation and not having that gladiatorial component to it that's made it such compelling watching when you're looking at the Ashes or a Australia-India series, for example. That's a big issue for me because it just means that that plateau of, t- of T20 and, and, and test cricket being diminished comes more to the fore. I don't know the answer because we're in a situation where if we want to play test cricket, it's going to need to look at a little bit different. Mm. But I think I'm, I'm more worried for the test game now than I, I have been in in a long, long time. What I really hope in this whole situation is that they do look at it as in a, with an innovation kind of mindset mm. and that they should be looking at this whole kind of thing going, okay, what are our opportunities to do it, to get cricket now? Because people are going to be hungry for it. Okay. It's not, it, it's, it's not going to matter to people in the current situation. If the test game is diminished slightly, it's going to matter if in two years, the test game is still diminished. So they have to make decisions to go, okay, cool. We're going to get some cricket now. And then they have to think about, has that brought up anything that's actually going to be good for the game that we can do in mm. terms of domestic cricket, whatever it's going to be, and then flow that on? Or they go, look, this is what we did for one year or six months or however long it is to get cricket. Now we're going to go straight back to everything else that we did and we're not going to do what we did there. We're not going to worry about these. We're not going to try and have 13 man's bowling units and, and all these kind of things. Mm. They really... I really hope that they look at it that way, that this is an opportunity to do some things and get some cricket going, but not completely shift things unless it's for the good of the game. And if you take the glass half full approach, these kinds of challenges in life and in all sorts of things bring out innovation. Um, if if something good happens as a result of that, I think it will be fantastic for the game. If it results in maybe test match mini tournaments where four nations get together and play test matches and you know teams are rotating around and playing test matches and sharing the revenue and making test cricket a real spectacle um, at least on par in terms of fan interest with d- domestic T20 or international T20 cricket then that that's maybe a good thing and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't but I think if as you say if cricket wants to survive particularly test cricket we need to be thinking about how we can innovate the game more than we ever have before. And purists, I'm one of them, need to be receptive to the fact that cricket may need to look different, both from an economic standpoint and from a way the game is played, logistically and on the field. They need to fire a Netflix crew into these bubbles, man, and make (laughs) the test like every single country should be followed. I think it would be compelling mm. you know after the test match you've got the doco on as well and that's, and that's and maybe that's the answer maybe that is a way of, of changing the way that cricket is broadcast giving more access to to test cricketers maybe not in the change room directly after the game but you know that that could be an option absolutely well they're going to have to make more of it if it's going to be purely a, te- a television product don't they like mm. if, if you can't go to the ground and experience that atmosphere live they're going to have to make that television product as strong as strong as possible otherwise it's just it's not going and to be... It, and as intimate as possible. Like, so cricket is going to have to get more intimate now 
than it ever has before because mm. you've got that lack of crowd involvement and lack of fan action. So on to, on to that first point though, T20 World Cup, if that gets delayed for the IPL, how are you feeling? So IPL runs in October, November, and then they move the T20 World Cup back to February, or cancel the T20 World Cup at all. You know, there's there's various things being proposed, but how do we feel about if that if that's what unfolds that a franchise tournament takes precedent over a, a World Cup tournament? I guess my question would be: on what criteria would that happen? Is that on the basis that the World Cup can't go ahead because they can't get the players into Australia in a safe way? Mm but they can get an IPL away in a safe way. I'd rather see the best tournament. So I'd absolutely rather see a fullish strength IPL versus, to be honest, a T20 World Cup with no fans and not the best players. That's actually that's an interesting point. What does the IPL become without fans in the stadium? Yeah, it's, it's a very different prospect, isn't it? Yeah, but to answer your question... Um, quieter. Yeah, a lot quieter. <laughs> um, to answer your question, I think that it is whatever is best for the game. I, I'm not. I'm indifferent into which, whichever one they do, mm. uh, but I think the logistics, as, as, as you pointed out, Binksy, are going to be easier for an IPL. Move the T20 World Cup to, I, uh, to India. Well, surely Australia is doing better than... Better at the moment. I'm not necessarily saying who's going to be doing better, but I think my, my comment, which probably should have been, do you move the World Cup to where it can be played mm. with as many nations present as possible I, I think, and hopefully crowds? I think that no, the, the problem is that there's 20 teams or whatever at the, uh, the mm. World Cup mm. versus eight teams or 11 teams, whatever it is now in yeah, the 11, IPL. Yeah. So that's that's the issue, I think. And I think it, if, if the challenge is international travel... I think absolutely you should have the IPL first. If, and even if they can't get international players into the IPL, it'll still be a fantastic tournament. Even if it doesn't have crowds, it'll still be a fantastic tournament. And people will watch it because it will be the high-profile cricket being played. And you could make a case, if you're an ICC spin doctor, that all of those players playing domestic cricket gives them a chance to be match fit for their premier tournament, which is the Cricket World Cup, which will stage in February. And that placates international fans and it gives the IPL a chance to go ahead. I would be I would be slightly concerned if international players were allowed to travel to India but not allowed to travel to Australia. Mm. Because from a health and safety perspective or from a health perspective, Australia, despite the fact that they have really strict border control right now, is managing the health aspect of the of the coronavirus reasonably well, I think by all reports. Um, I think it would be very, very hard unless you were completely isolated in India to have social distancing just because of the, the, the fan um, intimacy with the game, right? It would be very, very difficult, I think, unless unless the players were isolated at the hotel, and maybe this is the way that they have to do it, is to isolate the players at a hotel, they're bussed to the game, they have no fan interaction whatsoever, play and come home again. I mean, that could feasibly work, but any kind of fan interaction would have to be right out in India because there's no way that I think they could guarantee the safety of the players in that, in that kind of circumstance. And maybe that, that's the protocol that they have to go through for a while. I love how you looked at me when you were talking about the Indian logistics. Well, I'm, 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 like I've been there. Well, I'm, 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 looking, I'm looking around the room, but I, I may have sort of, uh, you know, subtly settled. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. But I think it would be... I think, I think the Australian government is much more likely to enforce border control um, and stricter isolation processes, given what they've done now, locking state borders, um, enforcing people having to have flu vaccinations before they're allowed to play rugby league, 
all of that kind of stuff, I think, you know, is going to be a barrier to entry, a physical barrier to entry for those players coming to that tournament. But hopefully it's relaxed by January, February, and that, can, and that tournament can go ahead. So let's strap our crystal balls on. In terms of the World Cup, I want a yes or no whether it's going to take place in Australia. And then question part B is, will it be in front of fans if that's the case? I'm, I'm going to come anti-clockwise around the table, so Lippy. I think it takes place. I don't think it takes place in October. Um, I, I think it take. I think, yeah. From all reports, I, I feel like that the way this is going is that they'll try and get some sort of IPL in, in around that window and then shift it to Feb, which is, actually seems a bit weird to me because we didn't touch on. But there's another T Twenty World Cup in 2021. So I, I mean, it's it sort of just feels a bit silly. Like it, you would either, to me, just cancel it or. Uh, or try and play it in October, but yeah, I think they will try and do something and shift it to Feb. I I don't think there's I don't think there's any way that they can't cancel the tournament without first exploring having it in February or exploring it having it in another country. I think it will take place. Mm. I think it will take place late in the Australian summer mm. once they've had you know protocols and, and and look, our world could look incredibly different six months from now than it does right now, right? could flare up in Australia again. All sorts of things could happen, but I think... Well, six it, months ago, it looked a lot different than it does it now. Exactly, it, so. right? So if I had to strap my crystal balls on and make a prediction, I think it will go ahead, but not in October. What are you using to shine those yeah, crystal balls with? those crystal balls? A <laughs> uh, uh, rock tumbler. Uh, 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 abrasion is your best friend when you're trying to polish gemstones. So, uh, um, <coughs> Baldy reference his balls as gemstones. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than like, marbles. Um... <laughs> I, I think that the T20 World Cup will not go ahead, uh, but I think it will be because of that that IPL window. I also think, just to when you're talking about fans, just to give you an insight, I think the NRL today was talking about having fans back in July in stadiums. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if that's even possible, but you're saying in July they want to have fans back in stadiums. So You'd think New Zealand's home summer, if things go the way that they're going right now, we're going to have fans, aren't we? We're going to be, I mean... Certainly the Plunkett Shield, is it? It's not a gathering of more than 10 people now, is it? Well, fair point. But, I mean, you know, if we have a home summer, you would think that you, they're going to be allowed some sort of crowds there. You know, maybe there's some level of social distancing, but it's not like we have huge, huge packed crowds anyway. You mm. would think we're going to be playing in front of five, ten thousand 10,000 people by then. I mean, you know, obviously, who who knows what things are going to look like then, but, yeah. I think for another day, the point that you made just before Binksy around what's the actual better tournament, that's possibly <laughs> a, a huge question, really, that yeah. we could debate here for a long a time. In terms of, you know, the IPL and uh, the T20 World Cup, what, you know, what actually is the better tournament for, for an advertisement for cricket? So, so I'll throw a left field one out. So I don't think the World Cup takes place in its current scheduled slot in Australia. I don't know how this works in terms of windows, money, TV rights, etc. But one thing is clear, and Baldy, you've alluded to, Australia's coped with this virus pretty well in terms of its um, eradication of it or certainly in terms of some of the things that it's done, perhaps not quite as effective as New Zealand's stance on it. What's to stop a big bash tournament where a lot of these players come down and play big bash in a country that's probably kicks most of the uh, the disease by that particular point mm. and then play the World Cup after the big bash with those players having had a hit out in uh, in the big bash? 
fantastic for big economy countries. So for English, Indian, uh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka players, all, all of those countries, that, that would be fantastic. For all of the minor nations, it would be a real challenge, I think. Oh, will it, would it make any difference for the minor nations? Well, you've, you've got Nepalese, you've got Afghan players Papua playing in the Big Bash. Yeah, so. yeah, Papua New Guinea would, would still be able to come. I don't think it would stop any of those nations from coming. It'd be fantastic for the Big Bash. But I guess the problem, or the thing that's going to define all of that is what happens when somebody, if somebody tests positive mm -hmm. COVID-19. We don't know that yet. I don't, like, uh, I think NBA might be one of the, the only sports that, tested positive and just stopped straight away mm -hmm. we haven't had any of those scenarios play out in in you know this sort of world that we're in now so that's the big question for me so that just about wraps up this episode of the top order podcast it's great to be back in a room with all of the guys so post our lockdown here in new zealand this is the first time for about seven weeks we've all sat across the table gazing into each other's eyes in some cases lovingly and others not so much if you do want to catch up on episodes recorded in the lockdown we've had some fantastic interviews so head over to www.thetoporderpodcast.com where you'll find all the links of where to listen to us you can catch up with barry richards you can listen to shane ditch joe scuderi amongst others wasim khan md ceo of pakistan cricket was also on the pod not so long ago so make sure you get over to the website Please give us a shout out, recommend us to a friend, family member, perhaps if they're in lockdown and looking for something to do, a back catalogue of dozens and dozens of episodes. But we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>